You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Whether you're looking for a good Korean skincare or affordable and trendy jewelry, they've got you covered. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Trials to Triumphs. I'm Ashley Blaine Featherson Jenkins, but you can call me ABFJ. This week, I welcome my dear friend Griffin Matthews, and we're sitting with our hopes and dreams and digging into the promises made over the course of our lives. I've always held on to the belief that God's promises to me will always come to pass, rarely in my timing, but in due time. One of the promises made to me a long, long time ago was the promise of a husband a loving partner who I would be able to grow and do life with and, well, check. Now, what's interesting about my conversation on promises with Griffin is that he challenges me to rethink what it means to have a life promise fulfilled. Since we met on the set of Dear White People, season two, Griffin and his husband have become foster parents to two young boys. Now, all new parents deal with a lot of uncertainty. Am I ready? Am I good at this? But navigating the foster care system during a global pandemic has forced Griffin and his husband, Matt, affectionately known as Butch, to simply sit with what they don't know and just bask in the present. One of the things that has been good for us is that we realize the fragility of our family. And I wish that more straight couples realize the fragility of their families. Their children are also not promised to them we just became super aware of it. But we were like, you know, people used you know, write to us and say, oh my God, you guys are so strong. You're being so strong. We don't feel heroic or strong. We feel tired and daddy, but it's beautiful. It's been a beautiful dream. After the credits, the historical role Griffin Matthews wants to play on the big screen. I've just never seen a story about two enslaved people who were gay. Hello, Griffin. Welcome to the pod. Hello. Hello. Oh, Griffin, you bring me so much joy. (laughs) I want to tell you something. Please. That I love about you. I'm ready. You always show up 
fully as all that you are. And what I mean by that is that you never give a truncated version of yourself. And I think that that is just really rare and really cool. And it's one of my favorite things about you. So I just want the world to know that. The interview just started and I'm already sweating. So you've done it. (laughs) I'm already sweating. Can you believe it? You can't, I can believe it's like it. I'm blushing, I'm sweating. <laughs> you can't say nice things right away. You have to hold those for 15 minutes and, and then you can say nice oh, things. Oh no, Griffin, get used to it. They'll be sprinkled in throughout this entire time together. Thank you. I remember so vividly meeting you because you were this exciting character that was being introduced uh, in our third season of Dear White People. And... It was thrilling, and we had read about this character, Deontay, but we didn't know who it was going to be. We had heard some whispers, uh, and I remember that your first day on set, uh, you know, people were saying, he's here, he's here. (laughs) And I walked in. I just remember what stuck out to me the most about you was how comfortable you were. Is that how you felt coming onto the show with us? Well, If by comfortable you mean there were Black people everywhere, yes, I felt (laughs) extraordinarily comfortable. I'd never seen anything like it. It's like Africa. Dear White People was like Africa for me. When I landed in Uganda and I Mm. looked out at the airport and saw nothing but a sea of Black people, that is how it felt walking into the studio and seeing Black people everywhere in every department, Mm. in the cafeteria. I was like, this is wild. (laughs) And I, I felt so comfortable because... It was my first experience being on a predominantly Black show with a you know Black cast. But the revelation that I had on day one was, oh my God, is this what white people feel like when they do TV? <laughs> or when they do yes. America? Like, is this what they feel yes, like? Yes, it is. Yes. It was really, really great. And also, I think, you know, just the way that, that we are with each other culturally, I think, you know, you walk down the street and you say hi or you nod or whatever. And so... I didn't feel like I didn't know anybody. I love that, Griffin. Well, in the spirit of continuing to get to know each other even better, I have an inkling that we have the same or one of the same comfort foods. Mm. We had a moment on Instagram. I don't know. Do you remember what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about? The butcher story? If if you say... Is it that black? We're so we're really going black here, aren't we? We're oh, just we're going, going black. black. Have you met me? Yes, we're <laughs> okay. going full black. I didn't so, realize. Okay, great. <laughs> Griffin, tell me one of your comfort foods, which also happens to be one of mine. I I love a turkey neck. <laughs> what do you know about a turkey neck? I love Ooh. them. I f- oh, they wow. just especially when they're just when they're nice and juicy. <laughs> And they're salted properly. I can rip apart a turkey neck like I've never seen one before. Like a coyote. It's just, it's, my husband will make them for me as comfort food. He'll make them for me. He studied. Yes. So when did it become, like, what got you to turkey necks? That's what I want to know. It's called having black cousins. That's what, that's what it does. My, my aunt and uncle for every Christmas... I am a Christmas baby. I was born on Christmas. Mm. Um, so we, we spent many, many, many holidays with them in Pittsburgh. And my uncle would put some 
turkey necks. And when you see them, they're like not appealing. It's At a all. long neck looking it's thing. Bad. It's not it's appealing bad, to the yeah. eye. But I guess we were hungry. <laughs> la 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 la. We were hungry. And I I was like, we should try it. And my my cousins were chowing down. And I was like, what is that? What are you eating? And as soon as I had one, bye bye. Never gone back. It's my birthday it's... present to myself. No, you and you won't. No. No, you won't. You won't it's go back. Insane. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. My introduction to turkey necks is my grandmother, my nana would make them for me mm-hmm. with no explanation. It was just like turkey necks with rice. (laughs) And that's just what I had for lunch on a random Thursday, spending summers with my Nana. Um, It's a delicacy for Black people. I know it is. It is for Griffin and I. So we're putting it down as a delicacy for Black folks. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics, because that's who we are. So you mentioned... Christmas, your Christmas baby. My mom is born the day after Christmas. So I know all about like surround, being surrounded by family on Christmas and celebrating birthdays and life. Uh, so what has Pittsburgh given you? Hmm. A lot. Mm. Joy and grief. Mm. Um, Pittsburgh, it was really sweet. It's a sweet town to grow up in. I had a really um, interesting childhood because I started in the hood and then my parents plucked us out of the hood and moved us to suburbia. Like so many parents do. um, (laughs) Where we were the only black people. We moved out to the suburbs. The first thing I remember was it was so quiet, none of us could sleep. We could, Mm. there was no buses. It was just like frighteningly quiet. And that was, I was probably seven when we moved. And then I, then I immediately started encountering all kinds of racism, which was overt. Wow. It was overt. Like we'd be driving or we'd be walking down the street and a car would slow down, roll the window down and out comes me and my brothers, just the N-word, this, get out of our neighborhood. Expletives. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um... I had a I had a rough and beautiful middle school, elementary school, middle school, high school experience. Um, but as and then I went to college in Pittsburgh. Then I went to Carnegie Mellon. I stayed in Pittsburgh. Such a great school, by the way. The school was great and the the um the community of artists that I met there was great. But it I think it healed a lot of the high school pe- period because that was mm. back in Shady Side. It's not quite it's like somewhere it was middlehood. There was, you know, it was middlehood. Yeah. And then I just felt like 
I felt like I fell in love with Pittsburgh in college, going to Pittsburgh. I mean, going to college in Pittsburgh. I fell in love with it again, the culture, the people, the, the, it's a sweet, sweet town. And everyone was so shocked that I was so gay. But on Sundays I was like, can we watch the Steeler game? My <laughs> classmates were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you know, when you grow up in hometown, that's hometown. We watch the Steelers, the Stillers. Well, so Griffin, do you feel like you fell in love with Pittsburgh more once you were in college because you felt safe? Yes. Yes. Okay. It was safe and seen. And I think also I had gone to school because I went to a predominantly white high school. I think there were 600 and. 10 kids in my graduating class Mm. uh, at high school. And there were like five of us, one of which was my cousin. Wow. So that should tell you how outnumbered we were. And when I went to Carnegie Mellon, all of a sudden I had black classmates from Philly and Houston and Dallas and Miami. And so there were, I was re-seeing my city, re-meeting it with other black actors and artists, singers and dancers who were so excited about being in Pittsburgh. So mm. it was, it, I think it was a different experience when I was like, oh, I'm with my crew again. And like, now we're running around the streets of Pittsburgh and we're getting to know the city in a different way. You know, it was hard to get to know the city when you're one of, or, you know, one of, you know, 610. It's hard yeah. to feel seen, you know, fully welcomed. Yeah. But I felt that in college for sure. That's a blessing. Yeah, I'm okay. Griffin. Yes, Ashley. We all have dreams and goals, right? Once we graduate from college. With no money. Yeah. So I want to know, what were yours and are they happening? Are you living it? My dreams, first of all, it's a great question. The question of are you living your dream, it's like, I don't... That should be a yearly question, maybe monthly, maybe daily. Um, I think my dreams were as big as I knew how to dream at that point. Uh, I wanted to go to New York or LA. I wanted to be on television or on Broadway. And I wanted to be able to make a living doing acting or theater And I also wanted to make a difference inside of it. Like I wanted to be able to find find a a space where I could make a difference. Um, So am I living my dream? Yes. Um, Does it look exactly like I thought it would? No. Um, And I think like I've really tried to continue to redefine what I think is success Because it just keeps the needle is it's moving and the it's just I don't know. I I really I think I'm only stumbling because I think that you just hear my um my inner tension inside of Mm. this industry and inside of the current world. Um yeah, I think the the idea of living your dreams is so it's a moving target. I think for me almost every day, it's a moving target. Today, am I living my dreams? I'm talking to you. So that's part of my dreams. Yeah. Um, And then I think, I don't know. I, I have a lot of 
friends in this business who are constantly just so busy. Mm. And, uh, and, and I am, I wish I was more busy. And then when I'm really busy, I'm like, could I get less busy? <laughs> you know, like it's, it's yeah. constant, Ooh. like, I'm so busy and then I want to get less busy and I'm less busy. And I'm like, what should I do? Raise these kids. It's like, I don't know, you know, so. Yeah. Well, you know what, Griffin? I, I can't think of who the who came up with this concept, which is something I'm really trying to, like, internalize Suffering comes from not living in the moment. Hmm. And 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 when I when I first heard it, I was like, okay. But then when I really broke it down, I realized that my suffering, my anxiety, it's because I'm worried about what's ahead, what's mm. in the future, what's what I want to happen, what I hope happens, what I need, what I feel I need to happen. And the truth is, we just don't know. And, and so when you're talking about your dreams and how you, you we're kind of teeter-tottering, right? Sometimes we want to be busy, then we're too busy, then we pull back. And then we're kind of doing, we're on this seesaw. Mm. Part of it is I think we have to just allow life to continue to surprise us. You know, that leads me to your fatherhood journey, your marriage journey. <laughs> What a dream. So talk to me about Matt, because Matt, I'm just, <laughs> I'm obsessed with him. I'm obsessed with your relationship. You're a modern family to me. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. You are a modern family. Yeah, I mean, I think that just the idea of you're suffering because you're not in mm-hmm. the moment, there's an inherent contradiction inside of dreaming because dreaming is about seeing something down yeah. the line. So it's like you can't be dreaming and also stay in the moment. It's like you have to sort of let yourself drift mm. um, and then deal with the consequences of that drift. So, um, yeah, I do think that there's something so true about um, suffering because you're not in the moment. And I find myself and I find most artists to be um, born dreamers. That's yeah. all we do. That's what artists do. So... Um, so you, you you always meet people inside of our business um, who are just suffering because they're inside of their dreams. And it's, I'd say the thing for, for Matt and I has been to allow ourselves to dream. I had to allow myself to dream of, of marriage because when I was growing up, that was not an option for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I specifically remember being in our loft in downtown LA when the Supreme Court passed gay marriage. And Matt and I were sitting on the couch and we're watching people like flood the streets in San Francisco and all over the country. And we were just sitting there kind of watching it play on the TV. And we were quiet. And I think we got so quiet because we were like, wait a second. What does this mean for us? Mm. Like we had never needed to deal with marriage. That was the whole point. When you're gay, you don't have to deal with it. You just, <laughs> you live your life. You go to France. You buy clothes and buy a house in Palm Springs. You don't need to worry about that, that heteronormative pressure of getting married. And so we were sitting on the couch slightly stunned because all of a sudden it was available. And we had to deal with the availability of 
you know, sealing the deal legally. Mm. And so, um, so that was the start of that real dream when it became legal for us. I mean, of course, I always wanted a partner. Everybody always wants someone to spend their life with. And how long were you all together at that point, Griffin? Oh, God, probably, probably uh, four, let's say, I think four years okay. at that point. And, and I think that, look, that Supreme Court gavel bang created all kinds of chaos in our lives. Wow. Absolute chaos. Um, sent us into counseling, sent us into a breaking up and, and making up and really trying to decide if we were going to do it. You know, like it's, it's deep when you've been told you cannot do it and then all of a sudden you can do it. You know, you see people self-sabotage mm-hmm. all the time. You see celebrities get everything and then they self-sabotage and they have nothing. Yes. And so we, we did the full journey of really going, this is not for us and this is, you are not for me. Mm-hmm. I am not for you. I will find someone else who will marry me. We just did the whole thing. Yeah. We did the whole thing because it was, it it became, I mean, even when Matt finally proposed to me, because it was really, he was the one that I think was fighting it. Um, I remember I said to my friend, I said to our, our best friend, Andrea, they came out to, Andrea came out to LA for Thanksgiving. And I said, if Matt doesn't ask me to marry him on by Christmas, which is my birthday, yeah. uh, I'm done. Mm-hmm. We had been together for like eight years. I said, I'm done. I want kids. I want a house. I want, I, I'm not having a baby with my boyfriend. It's yeah. not happening. And I was so over it. I was over Ooh. it. I was annoyed that we had already done all this counseling. We'd already been, <laughs> da, 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 and it still wasn't happening. Yeah, I know. And when he, he proposed to me, like a couple weeks later, right before Christmas. That's how it always goes. You have the breakdown right before, right and they've before. been like planning it the whole time. Mm-hmm. You don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was, I really thought my response was going to be attitude. Like, go ahead, put it here. Put the ring right there. I thought it was going to be that. I was inconsolable. <laughs> I was bawling my eyes out. The eyes were, the, the water was hitting, <laughs> it was hitting the screens. I was just like, it was hitting the walls. It was, I just yeah. really, he, and I, so that was the, that was my inner cue of like, yep, you should marry him because you're still so of emotional about it. Um, but yeah, we, we continue down the journey of, of our personal relationship, not, you know, kids aside. We have our own marriage separate from the kids and we are perfectly imperfect mm. and we do it every day. Every day we are inside of who are you today? Who do you want to be? Um, it's been magical and difficult. Marriage is you're a married person. <laughs> and we absolutely re-up on marriage counseling. I just think it's so important. I A lot of people write to us on Instagram and they're like, you guys are so amazing. And da-da-da. I'm like, we go to counseling all the time. Yeah. We got to do it. <laughs> Yeah. We just did a pandemic. We got to do it. Yeah. We got to do it. Our wedding rings are snakes. Mm. I found like vintage antique snakes from the 1800s. And snakes used to symbolize rebirth, regrowth, because they're shedding their skin and then they start to. And so it was a symbol of rebirth. And so we try to really allow ourselves to be snakes. Ooh. Griffin, that's good because shedding shedding, everybody sheds. 
everybody sheds. Yeah. Even if you don't want to, that skin has got to come off. Mm -hmm. But when you're in a marriage, not only are you shedding individually, but you shed together. I think that that's just powerful. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. So... Take me to a moment where you just felt low in your career, Griffin, and how you got out. And what was on the other side? Well, there have been many times. It's hard to say when I've held it up by myself because I don't really... Or maybe someone's held it up for you. I don't... It probably was Matt, to be honest. Mm. I call him Butch. (laughs) There are many times in my career when when I needed to hold up a chuppah and Butch was standing there to do it. It was actually the most, one of the most, um, since we're talking about Dear White People, mm. right before Dear White People, I was like, I cannot get arrested in this town. I don't understand. I feel like I'm doing mm. all of the auditions and I am. And I I remember Matt, it was, we were pre- preparing for a production of Witness Uganda, which is a musical that we wrote. Um, that I'd always been starring in, but I had always wanted to direct it. And um, I was in the house and I was bitching. Oh, I was Mm. bitching and moaning about my entire career. It was in shambles. I had not booked Dear White People. And Matt said to me, would you stop bitching and just direct the show? And I said, Butch, (laughs) what? Sometimes you need a husband to really like, you know what I mean? You need to get knocked around sometimes. Yep. Stop bitching and just direct the show. And I realized when he said it, it was a moment where he was like, you're you're doing the same thing and expecting a different response. So if you want to direct the show, direct the show. If you want to leave the business, leave the business. Mm. Stop talking about it. Just do it. And that challenge in and of itself, like, knocked me back into my senses and literally, I uh, announced to the theater that I was going to direct the show. And they were like, great, you should direct the show. I didn't want to direct it because I was scared. What if it failed? Yeah. Then it's really all my yes, fault, yes. right? And that's why I wouldn't do it. Because I was like, if somebody else is directing and the show fails, then it's never. <laughs> but if I directed and the show fails, it's my yes. fault. And that was confronting my fear. But um, but I one, I told the theater I was going to direct the show and they said, great. Literally, like, two weeks later, I booked Dear White People. When it rains, it pours. It, well, it was the opening. Yeah. Because Deontay was the gayest character I'd ever played. <laughs> and he was the closest character to myself. Mm. So I also, went, going back to why were you so comfortable, I walked onto that set as myself. Mm. I didn't have to hide anything. The scariest part of playing Deontay was that he was further along in his journey of acceptance of himself than I was. What about you? You always seem so... Because you're so perfect oh all the time. Oh, my gosh. I've seen your Instagram. <laughs> I've seen those photos. Do you have a story? Like, because you always, to me, feel like you're coasting. Mm. 
that is the word I would use to describe you via Instagram. You are coasting. It's so interesting you say that because I think that's something I'm working on is revealing more of my imperfections. I am not perfect. <laughs> Try harder no, because it's not uh, working. No, and it's because <laughs> you are perfect. And that's why I love this. Thank you. But I that's why I love doing my podcast is because I struggle. I have breakdowns all the time. I doubt myself more than I should. And I just feel so blessed to be in a position where I can talk to friends like you and gain inspiration and also feel... Uh, like I'm not alone. I think oftentimes being an artist, okay, just but being... stop. Stop. Yes. I want you to say one thing. Reveal one thing that you've never revealed about this fall off. Because I still, I I see you, and I still don't know what you're talking about. Mm. Say one thing you haven't said. I do not feel successful. I feel, I feel as though I've had successes, but I struggle with feeling successful. Even in the midst of doing something as wonderful as this, in the midst of being on a show for four seasons that I feel very proud of the character that I played and so many other things that I've done, I struggle with, again, I'm in the future, I'm, I struggle with always planting myself back in the now and looking at what I have. And the thing is that I have such a, I have such a gratitude practice. So that's what's confusing about it is that I, I practice gratitude daily. I pray. I'm connected to the universe and got all those things every day. But I still struggle with feeling, not only feeling successful sometimes, but trusting that Everything that I know I was promised will come to pass. But I need to understand. I need to understand when you say everything I was promised. Mm-hmm. I need you to break that down. Help me. Yeah. I I always say that um what whoever, whatever you believe in, I believe in God, but mm-hmm. we work in tandem. So there's things that we've talked about (laughs) that are plans that he has for my life to prosper me and not to harm me. And some of those things are to always play characters where I feel like Black women are seen fully, to be someone who is a light for whoever needs it. So I think I have to just give myself more room to allow those things to come into my life and also just more grace for what I have done and what I know I will continue to do. But it's it's difficult. Yeah, I I turned 40 in December. And one of the things that I realized at 40 is I don't know anything. It's become my like a little bit of my new mantra. I don't know anything. Mm. And um, it's so interesting because I, I feel like coming from a culture of Christianity, which most Black people, I think, in America are doing, mm-hmm. you know, we have all of these, these phrases that have like really been ingrained in us, including the things that I was promised. And I think at 40, my kids are foster kids. Mm-hmm. So I've had... Uh, 
Galileo for four years. He is still not adopted. Mm. I've had Apollo for a year and a half. He's still not adopted. Um, we live through a pandemic. Ukraine is in a war. Galileo's great-grandparents, who we love and adore, are Ukrainian. Mm. Talked to them yesterday. Um, I started to just question all of the promises. Mm. And I think it's not in a cynical way, but it is a way that I think has maybe helped to reset my idea of what life is. Because part of my anxiety and part of my issues come from a space of believing I'm owed something. And then I like really, um, inside of the pandemic, we did, we started doing uh, family Zooms, weekly family Zooms. We started talking about, you know, great grandparents, great, great grandparents, people that we could, you know, as far back as my black family could trace. And I was just thinking so much. We talked so much about this also during the, the, the 2020 uprising of Black Lives Matter and just the, uh, the idea of so many generations before us had all of their same dreams and all of their same beliefs that things were promised to them and nothing, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it was, they weren't, they were not alive to see the promise. Yeah. I am the promise. Mm-hmm. You are the promise. Yes. They didn't get to see it though. And so I think I say that because I've, I'm realizing the humility inside of letting go of some of the ideas of, I, I actually love the idea of I was promised things and then letting the reality play out that I might not be alive to see the promises mm. that were mine. I might not be alive to see the promises of my dreams or my, you know, my work. And so that became so so apparent to me inside of the pandemic, inside of George and Brianna and Ahmad, like they, they're not alive to see us uprise. Mm-hmm. They're not alive to see it, but we credit them. And so anyways, I was just like, I've tried to reset my idea because it makes me feel small to think that that small in a good way, but to think that like that, that my daily life might I might not get to see it all, all of my little daily steps, I might not get to see all of those dreams happen, but maybe Galileo will see them. Yeah. And it's helped me to stop being so like worried about the future. Mm. Just like try to be, I don't know, it's been like it's cause I cause what I hear in you is so much confidence even inside of your questions you are so confident mm. and and i think it's beautiful by the way it's beautiful it's why i love you because it's why you pull out that manifest you're like it's manifest mondays it's like you pull up these jars and i'm like ashley blaine really does these jars she really is manifesting i can't manifest really anything is. what's going on <laughs> ashley is doing it <laughs> But I think I'm saying all of that to say to you and to me and for anyone else who might be listening and 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 rubbing up against all of the promises mm-hmm. that Ashley, whether or not any of those things happen for you, it doesn't mean they won't happen. Mm-hmm. Like it might happen for your kids, for your yeah. kids' kids. And and we have to we we can reset our our space on the planet and our path on the planet 
when we when we also dream not just into our future but into the future's future does that make sense yeah well i i thank you for that i thank you for even just asking me that i think that was a, literally the epitome of a heartfelt question um and so you know i really i want to talk about your children and that journey mm-hmm. and what it's shifted inside of you. You're beaming. I love seeing you beam when you think or just even talk about your children. I, I'm, I'm beaming and I'm exhausted. The children. Yeah. It's, it's a real, yeah. it is such a gift in my life. And it is such an unexpected gift because I always wanted to be a dad, but I didn't know that I would be a dad this way. So Matt and I are foster parents and we've we picked both of our sons up um, from the hospital. So they're, they were babies when we got them. First Galileo yeah. and then Apollo. And it's been an absolute insane journey navigating the LA foster care system uh, because there are over 40,000 kids in the system. And um, I would say it's a crisis. So we decided to become foster parents and... Uh, I don't know. This is what, Ashley, this is part of why I say like the promises and all these ideas. (laughs) We were promised that Galileo would be adopted somewhere between year one and one and a half, two, two, two and a half max. Galileo turns four in like three weeks. Mm. It's not adopted. No one, no one knew a pandemic was coming. Nobody knew it would back up the court system. Nobody knew that he would have family members inside fighting and appealing and appealing and appealing and appealing. Nobody told us we'd have to get a lawyer. Nobody told us we'd have to pay for all of that. Nobody told us any of this. Mm. And then in the middle of the pandemic, we thought, well, we're stopped. We're, our careers have stopped. We're at home. If we're ever going to have a second baby, we should have one. We called our social worker. We said, well, look. Galileo is held up in appeals. We're ready to do another baby. Just get us a black girl because that's really what we wanted. We just want want a black girl. She called us a week later with a Cambodian boy. And we said, Mm. okay, we'll take him. Mm. We were promised a black girl and we have a Cambodian boy. <laughs> and, and, and he he's supposed he was supposed to be adopted within nine months. He was damn near a safe surrender. Mm. And He's about to be two in July, and I don't know when the adoption's happening. And I just, I just, the whole thing has made me really question all of the promises. Once I got out of the promises and said, you ain't promised nothing, but today, you just, you have today with these Mm. children. They are yours today. It has actually helped me to breathe because there was a period of time when we could not breathe over Galileo. We were doing court dates every four to six months where he could have gone back to his birth family. And yeah. um, and if, as you can imagine, you think someone will hand you a baby. You think, you know, well, it'll be a couple of weeks. We'll like the baby a little bit. And like, nope. Day one, moment one, they hand you a baby. You're like, oh my God, the baby's mine. Yeah. You love them instantly. <laughs> but it's just, it's been like, one of the things that has been good for us is that we realize the fragility of our family. And I wish that more mm. straight couples realize the fragility of their families. Their children are also not promised to them. We just became super aware of it. But we were like, you know, people used to, you know, write to us and say, oh my God, you guys are so strong. You're being so strong. And we were like, 
Uh, we're just being parents. And also, your children are not promised to you either. So, um. get into the moment and and keep going. So, we don't feel heroic or strong. We feel tired and daddy. But it's beautiful. It's been a beautiful journey. It's beautiful. You, Griffin, what I love about you in this conversation is that... Uh, you've given me so much. And so I want to ask you your takeaway, but my takeaway from this conversation is um, it's okay to even question promises. Hmm. It's okay to do that. And it's okay to even not get what you're promised with the hope that someone you love will. People you love will. Uh, I think that's my takeaway. What's your takeaway? I think that what is interesting is you talked about your own um, question about, I want Black women to be mm-hmm. seen and I want the, your dreams, your promises. I, that's what you wanted for yourself. And I think when I met you on Dear White People, day one, you were already inside of that and you didn't realize it. I had already seen you, your... your promise of wanting Black women to be seen expanded even beyond that. It was actually bigger than just Black women. I'm sure Black girls watched the show and loved you, but I also watched the show. I'm not a Black woman. And I met you, and I met Logan. I I met Black women who looked like my cousins and my mother and my friends, and you swung the door open so wide you were already inside of the promise and you maybe didn't even realize it. So so I I think that, you know, trying to... I'm going to try to stay conscious inside of today that I might be living inside of some of the things that I had dreamt about or believed I was promised, that I might be inside of it and I can't yet see it. Wow. That's beautiful. Well, Griffin... I adore you, but most importantly, I want to say thank you for saying yes to me, but to everything that's put in front of you that you know is for you and having the discernment of saying yes. I I just, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. You're the best. And yes to you anytime. For this week's Sankofa Moment, Griffin Matthews is bringing a group of ancestors to the big screen that most history books would have us think never existed. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by LWC Studios for OWN. The show's executive producer is Juleka Lantigua. Its senior editor is Verilyn Williams. Our sound designer is Cedric Wilson. Our managing producers are Camille Stennis and Paulina Velasco. Our assistant producer is Lauren Francis. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and review wherever you listen to podcasts to ensure you hear the next one. Okay, so only recently are we starting to see Black, queer, historic figures in mainstream media. Uh, You know, Not Your Negro, then Coleman Domingo starring in the Bayard Rustin film coming up. Uh, And there's a lot to be said about how they are portrayed. So who would you want to portray? Hmm. 
It's so funny. I don't have a, a historical figure. Um, I think it's because um, I don't know if that's my purpose inside of this business to to maybe my lane and my journey is to try to keep busting down the doors to expand what we think we're even capable of. Um, I have a project that I've been pitching out to um, some studios about uh, gay slaves. Ooh, they were there. My friend Donye wrote a play. I've never... The play is called Sugar in Our Wounds. It um, it gagged me because he was... He's another Black gay uh, playwright and he was like, I was just thinking, like, one day, I mean, gay people didn't start with me. They didn't start in the 30s. Like, there must have been gays. I've been to Uganda. There are gay Ugandans. So that means <laughs> the gay people were there. So, like, I've just never seen a story about two enslaved people who were gay. And so he wrote this incredible play, and it's the only, it's one of the only films that I ever wanted to write and mm. I am curious to to dig in deeper into that history, to go like, yeah, we didn't just arrive. Like, we were here. And so, like, cut it out. Cut it out. We got to, like, recognize that we came here on boats as well. Yeah. Yes. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.